Grow your IT career with online IT training from Full Stack Journey sponsor, IT Pro TV. Just for you listening, there is a special offer, a seven-day free trial and discount of 30% off all plans. Visit itpro.tv slash full for seven days free and 30% off. Use promo code full at checkout. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Welcome back to the Full Stack Journey podcast, where we talk about the ongoing evolution of the IT professional. Thanks so much for listening. My goal today as your host is to help equip and prepare listeners for their journey of learning, the ongoing journey of learning that every one of us uh, encounters as an IT professional, uh, this journey of learning across the full stack of technologies that are present in today's data centers and cloud environments. I'm very excited to have a good friend of mine joining me on the show today, Steve Sloka. Good morning, Steve. How are you? Good, good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Hi, hey, man. It's a pleasure. And uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm really excited to have you on the show, uh, not only to talk about um, Contour, which is the project you've been working on for quite some time, but also just to hear sort of your, your story of how you as an IT professional, evolved as the result of getting into Kubernetes and Docker and containers and that sort of thing. So I think it's going to be super interesting to hear and super useful for a lot of listeners who are also wondering how they should get into this sort of thing and how it might impact their careers. Yeah, Let's, yeah awesome. So uh, why don't you just start out with a quick introduction? Uh, you know, nothing like super detailed. We'll get into the background uh, in a little more detail in a moment, but just kind of who you are, what you do, um, any, any online, you know, here's how people can follow me online or whatever stuff. Sure. Yeah. So yeah, I'm Steve Sloka. I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, I work for VMware um, and my primary job there is to work on Contour, which is an open source ingress controller for Kubernetes. Um, you can find me, I'm Steve Sloka at everywhere, GitHub, Twitter, all over the place. I'm trying to be consistent with that at least. Um, yeah. Awesome, thanks, Steve. I tried to to match all the the names up, but I just I couldn't I couldn't do it. So, I'm I'm usually Scott S. Low in most places, except for Twitter, where it's different. But anyway, yeah. Okay, yeah. we digress. Um, so <laughs> you mentioned that you you know you work for VMware. You came over with the Heptio acquisition. You and I worked together at Heptio prior to the acquisition. Um, and you mentioned you're working on on Contour, which is an ingress controller for Kubernetes. Now we'll get into you know, what an ingress controller is and what contour is in a moment, because I suspect there's probably a fair number of listeners who may not sort of understand the, the primary purpose of an ingress controller or the function of an ingress controller, right? But um, I was just wondering, could, like, you, you mentioned uh, earlier when you and I were talking that, you know, hey, you were sort of this classic enterprise person who needed what Kubernetes and containers, you know, had to offer. So can you share a little bit about um, sort of your transition career-wise, like, what what it's done for you in terms of your career and, and, and your focus um, since you started getting to this. And then I also want to talk a little bit after that about sort of, um, you know, how you, when we were part of field engineering at Heptio, we were bouncing between, you know, the consulting infrastructure side of the house, but also the development side of the house. And I think there's some interesting pieces to add there before we get into contour and ingress controllers and all that kind of jazz. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so uh, but my my job before Heptio, I worked at a very large healthcare organization, so an eighty thousand person enterprise, um, and they did healthcare. So there were you know I think twenty six hospitals, and they had a whole insurance division and everything. So it was a very very large enterprise. 
Um, and I kind of worked in like the R&D part of that company. So I, I've been a software engineer since since college. Um, and and what we found was in that in that world, um, you know, building infrastructure and building development tools uh, was painful on the desktop. So uh, when Docker came out, Docker was new. Uh, I forget what year that was, whenever that year was. Um, we used started using Docker to help us just manage our, our local development, right? So I think we were doing a Java-based development with an Angular front end. At the time, that was the application I was working on. Um, and so so Docker was great. So it let us, you know, the, the classical wins of Docker. We had consistent environments across all the developers on our team. Um, and we found great wins with that, right? And it helped just get out of all those different dependency problems um, on each local machine. Um, and then we said, well, hey, this is cool. Can we use Docker then to deploy these out? Um, I think the time we were using like Ansible or Puppet or something like that to deploy. Um, and, and, and we found we struggled with that, right? Um, so at the time, um, our deployment places where we deployed our infrastructure was through IT, right? We didn't have direct access to machines. So if we wanted a server, it was a ticket in two weeks, and then we got a server, and then we had to put an OS on that server. So it was another ticket in two weeks. Um, and then we had to put some software on there, so it was another ticket in two weeks. Um, obviously, I'm exaggerating a bit, but and sometimes I'm not. Um, so it was a very painful process to get infrastructure and, and servers, and, and we never really had access at, at the time anyway. Uh, because of all of the you know internal corporate regulations, uh, which for good reasons for for sometimes, but as a developer, uh, it gets frustrating sometimes because you can't just deploy the things or work on the things you want to work on. Um, so again, we're using Docker again locally to develop, and we looked at hey, what else is out there in the world? Um, and I stumbled across this thing called Kubernetes, and I think this was the end of 2014. So Kubernetes, I think, went was announced in June of 2014. Um, so. We started using it in that December. So it was super new. It wasn't even 1.0 yet. Um, so we had lots of bugs, right? So I was trying to learn Kubernetes and then also learn Kubernetes in a world where it wasn't stable yet. Uh, so it was an interesting journey to get you know, into that world of, of figuring out how Kubernetes worked. Um, and I still remember my, my first pull request to Kubernetes was I added, um, I gave pods DNS. That was what I did back when, um, before core DNS came out. So that was a fun, my first PR ever to, to, to Kubernetes. Um, again, to support our our Java our Java um, applications. Um, so from there, I just kind of grew, right? As we did more and more things with Kubernetes and Docker, um, I helped bring it into our enterprise and help other folks get it. Um, eventually, I got buy-in from IT and got other folks interested. Um, and I think I'm sort of the reason why that team kind of you know went down that road, at least initially on on that stack. That's that's a very cool yeah. story. Thank Sorry. you. No, yeah, yeah, it's all good. <laughs> um, so. Um, it's it's fascinating to hear that, and I, I just I think it would be one thing that jumps out to me. And as I talk to folks, you know, and, and we we come from different backgrounds. I come from an infrastructure background, having spent you know years and years on sort of the IT side of the house, right? And um, one of the things I, I run into so much when I talk to folks is that uh, as infrastructure folks, they don't understand why containers are so attractive to the development team, and they think. You know, people have a tendency, unfortunately, to think the worst of others, and they're like, "Oh, they're just trying to get around our controls, blah blah blah, whatever." But what I'm hearing you say is that you know there were there were like real and 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 valid business benefits from from a developer productivity perspective that you guys encountered as you started going down that path. Is that is that is that right? Yeah, for sure. So we, we were able to, um, you know, so again, if we're not having not being able to touch the infrastructure, if we wanted to upgrade to a new version of, I think we're using Spring Boot at the time, a new version of that, we needed maybe a different version of Java. So we had to have put a ticket in and get that. So using containers, we could just bump the version in the container, rebuild an image and push that out ourselves. And then we were, you know, things can move along. 
Um, we can also automate our deployments much faster, right? We can push out code faster and, and validate things that way. Um, so it just gave us the power again to do certain things um, without having you know, direct access to, to the servers. And, and it also matched our local environment, right? So we, we knew that when we developed locally, you know, that, that image you know, was baked and, 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 and valid because we tested it locally. And then once we pushed it, you know, there wasn't an issue of having a different dependency on that different remote machine uh, because all the dependencies were baked into that Docker container. So that flexibility of having those environments match between my local machine and that production server, you know, was, was a big win for us. Gotcha. That makes perfect sense. So um, that's a cool story. And I think that hearing that story may help listeners who come from an infrastructure background sort of understand a little better why containers are getting a focus from the development teams, right? It's not just about following the latest shiny. You know, there's, there's actual real benefits for doing that. And I think you being able to share that very personal story about how you, know, you went through that is, is super helpful. Um, before we get uh, into Contour and Kubernetes Ingress, there's one more thing I want to talk about sort of from a career perspective, and that is as part of field engineering when we were with Heptio, you were doing not only development on Contour and a related project, Gimbal, but you're also doing some consulting like Kubernetes implementation work, which is a little more, I guess, infrastructure centric. And I was just curious to know like how useful you found that um, because it seems like that, that line between, you know, quote unquote development and quote unquote infrastructure seems to be blurring. Right. And it seems like more and more folks having to pick up pieces from the other side in various directions. Yeah, I think it depends on what I guess what side you come from or what um, what part you have to dig into. Um, so yeah, when I when I started at, at Heptio, um, you know, I was working on I had finished my CKA. I think I was part of the beta program for the CKA, which is the Certified Kubernetes Administrator exam. So it's an exam to help you kind of test test your skills with Kubernetes. Um, and that exam relies a lot on knowing how to deploy Kubernetes by hand. You know, so can you deploy etcd and configure it to talk to the API server? Um, etcd is the the uh, database component of of Kubernetes. Um, so in all those different components, can you configure them? Can you troubleshoot them? Um, and really get that hands-on sort of infrastructure, you know, type experience. Um, whereas more now in my, in my day to day, um, I don't deal with you know troubleshooting Kubernetes or dealing with it. Um, if my cluster doesn't work, I just delete it and make a new one because it's it's not worth my time to try to kind of troubleshoot things. Um, so yeah, so back in the in the field engineering days, um, you know, my role was around you know developing software for customers, but um, I also did some help um, helping other customers you know be successful with Kubernetes. Um, so sometimes sometimes I miss that world that world of having that. Um, yeah, you know, I feel like I'm missing out on some of the features in Kubernetes just because I'm not dealing with it as much as I used to. Um, but it's okay. You can't learn everything. You can't know everything. Um, so you just kind of focus on the things that, that makes sense for you for the time, I think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But I guess one thing I'm interested in is, is did you find it, um, I mean, you, you indicated that you missed it, but I mean, did you find it helpful from a technical perspective to kind of see both sides of that coin or at least, you know, part of both sides of the coin uh, in, in terms of that work? Because it just seems like, you know, the title of the podcast is, you know, Full Stack Journey, and it just seems like, more and more as IT professionals, we're being asked to be more general than we were before in some aspects. And developers are being asked to know more about infrastructure and infrastructure folks are being asked to know more about development. And, and as someone who has straddled that fence to a certain degree, I was just curious as to, you know, whether you did actually find that useful or it was more challenge than benefit. Um. <clears throat> I think there was there was there's use in doing that. I mean, what I learned a lot from from that world was seeing what other folks do with their infrastructure and and um, 
applications. Um, a lot of times you get pigeonholed into kind of how you do things and it works for you. Uh, but it was interesting to see how other folks do it and how they, you know, the problems they run into. Um, but I think, yeah, I mean, having an understanding of how both sides work is always helpful. Um, so that when things do go wrong, it's, you know, if my, my cluster does do something interesting, then I can having a background to be able to troubleshoot it is, is helpful in understanding you know, how, how does traffic get into my cluster and how do these different, you know, infrastructure components interact with the software. Um, I think having both sides of that is, is helpful. Um, but it's not required. I mean, if, if, if you're in, in, if your your role in, in wherever you work, whatever you do, doesn't have that or a lot for that, then I think there's other ways you could work with another team member to do that maybe. Um, so I think it is helpful, but I don't know that it's it's 100% required, but I think it is, it is helpful. Yeah, and I think it goes back to your comment too about, you know, you can't, you can't know everything. Um, that's probably the number one complaint I get about uh, the podcast, to be honest, is people think that I'm advocating to know everything and I'm just really trying to bring more an awareness of what's going on rather than a, a deep... Uh, you know, knowledge of all these things because that's just not practical. Um, okay, so transitioning a little bit uh, into um, you know, sort of the "quote unquote" main topic, if you will. <laughs> um, uh, you mentioned you you've been working for a while on Contour and that it's a, a Kubernetes ingress controller. So before we get into Contour itself, um, I think it might be helpful to, to sort of discuss Kubernetes ingress in general, sort of what ingress is, what it's intended to do. Um, and one thing that I often run into with customers who are new to Kubernetes is what is the difference between ingress and a service and how those two play together. So um, can we talk about that for just a minute and then we'll then we'll dig into Contour itself. Sure, yeah. Uh, so, so ingress generically is, is the term for incoming, right? You could have ingress traffic into a cluster or you might configure an ingress um, policy on, on some network traffic. Um, but in, in context of Kubernetes, it's a way to allow traffic from outside your cluster access resources inside your cluster, um, and it typically uses the, we call it an L7 of the of the HTTP stack. So um, there's you know layer four and layer three, which are more network IP based, and then layer seven is an application layer. Um, and what that means is that when a request comes into a cluster, you can inspect that request at this layer seven level. So I could say, hey, you know the the domain name on here is stevesloka.com. Um, and then once I, if that matches a rule in my ingress resources, then I can route that to an application. Um, so ingress itself is just a configuration. So it's a way to describe how does that traffic from the outside the cluster route somewhere inside the cluster. Um, and that, again, that ingress is just the spec. And then what you do is you implement a controller, an ingress controller, and that controller then will basically implement that configuration. So it's a way to say, um, you know, again, stevesloka.com routes to this application, so it'll actually do the actual routing of the bits from outside in into the cluster. Gotcha. So the key distinction between uh, a Kubernetes ingress, referring to that specific API object, and, say, a Kubernetes service is that a Kubernetes ingress is layer 7, and therefore operating at sort of the application layer, being aware of host names and, and paths that are being requested, you know, out of a, out of a URL, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and a service is more of a, uh, I guess, more of a layer four piece because we're talking about TCP or UDP and and specific port numbers. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, I would. Yeah. Also, services are only only accessible with inside inside a cluster. Uh, I guess with the exception of node ports. But yeah, I guess generically speaking, a Kubernetes service is is not routable from outside the cluster. 
Gotcha. Unless we attach you to a load balancer or whatever, but then then we start getting yeah. into corner cases. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Sure. Um, I guess you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, but I, I would say that the distinction between, or maybe not the distinction, the separation between ingress and service is is it's not um, entirely like they're, they're not entirely separate because one actually builds on the other. Like in order for us to say that a particular URL or host path. Um, is routed to a particular place via an ingress definition, right? We have to have that that destination exposed as a service, right? Yeah, that's that's how, typically how you would do that. Yeah, you would have a service, and you would, you know, in, in a cloud environment, make a type load balancer. Uh, so there's different types of services in Kubernetes: just load balancer, cluster IP, uh, node port. Um, load balancer type will spin up a cloud-based load balancer. So another one in front of that load balancer. Um, so that gives you an external endpoint now from the public internet. Um, and then that that load balancer will direct traffic into one of the nodes or a set of the nodes uh, in your Kubernetes cluster. Um, and then once those nodes take that request, then it can get routed you know, to the right place. Gotcha. So in that case, you're actually yeah. talking about exposing the ingress controller as a service, right? Yes, correct. Yes. Right, right. Okay. And so just to help uh, you know listeners understand, because I know when I first started getting into Kubernetes, the distinction between service and ingress, I had to sit down with Duffy um, in San Francisco one day and uh, and have him explain it to me. But, um, you know, we're talking about we have these ingress controllers and in order to make them accessible to the outside so that it can do that routing based on layer seven um, data, then we have to expose that as a service, typically via like a load balancer of some sort, like, you know, type load balancer in a cloud environment or some other set of configuration if you're not in a cloud provider. But then the backend um, sort of applications that we expose, those also have to be defined as services. So we have a service to expose the ingress controller itself, and then the ingress definitions to route traffic to services inside the cluster, right? Yes, that's correct, yeah. Right, okay. And so really these two are, are they're, even though they serve sort of, I don't want to say different purposes, I mean they're really like two parts of an overall solution rather than two different things. And I think a lot of people may get confused about that. Right, yeah. And, and the other benefit you get with an ingress controller is if you used a type service in Kubernetes, um, say you had you know, 100 applications, you're going to have 100 different endpoint or entry points into your cluster that um, may be difficult to maintain and difficult to secure. Uh, whereas an ingress controller, you're going to have a single entry point into the cluster that all those different services will, will run over. Uh, so it helps you, you know, from a cloud environment not deal with maybe a cost. You know, one, one side is cost. So you don't have 100 different load balancers you're paying for in your cloud provider. Um, you also have a single place where you can you can monitor and watch that traffic. So you could apply, you know, um, allow lists and deny lists, and you could have different types of, you know, monitoring on that connection because all the traffic's coming in one way into your cluster. Aiding your journey to becoming a full stack engineer is Full Stack Journey sponsor IT Pro TV. Going full stack is partly about career growth, right? And online IT training from IT Pro TV that can help you grow. And they can help you, the savvy Full Stack Journey listener, grow at a 30% discount off of all IT Pro TV plans. More on that in a minute. A recent MIT study found that IT occupations have grown by 19.5% between 2004 and 2019. Compared to other jobs, that's more than eight times the growth over the past decade. That's right. Earnings have grown significantly for individuals working in IT. So if you're in IT, you've picked the right gig. 
But don't set your career on cruise control thinking, eh, it's all good. Change is the norm as evidenced by the full stack movement, right? And to keep earning that big paycheck, you need to keep your skills up. IT Pro TV has you covered from CompTIA and Cisco to EC Council and Microsoft and many more vendors, more than 4,000 hours of on-demand training. Engaging hosts present information in a talk show format and they're live every day and shows go from that live studio to the web in 24 hours so that you can stream them. Courses are conveniently listed by category, certification, and job role, and you can stream those courses live and on-demand worldwide via Chromecast, Roku, Apple TV, PC, or their iOS or Android apps. Learn IT, pass your certs, and land that fancy new full-stack job you've had your eye on with IT Pro TV. Visit itpro.tv slash full for a seven-day free trial and 30% off all plans. Use promo code full at checkout. That's itpro.tv slash full and use promo code full at checkout. One more time, itpro.tv slash full and use promo code full at checkout to try it free for seven days and save 30% off all plans. And now back to today's discussion. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. So, you know, we're exposing the ingress controller as a service and we have to use like a type load balancer if we're in a cloud environment or configure it to some sort of external uh, load balancer manually, whatever. But the, the other services that we are exposing, which may be, you know, HTTP-based microservices or whatever that are going to run on a particular path or a particular host name, um, those we can just, uh, we, don't, we don't have to expose those as a load balancer, which then means we, we have fewer points of entry into the cluster, and we also save cost if we are indeed running in a cloud environment since we know the cloud providers charge for you know, these wonderful load balancers that they manage. Um, okay, so that's Kubernetes ingress at a high level. Now let's talk specifically about Contour. Um, so help, help you know, listeners understand, so why did... Uh, why did Heptio originally and now VMware decide to develop Contour? Like, what was the the initial, you know, sort of genesis of that? Yeah, so there, there are a couple of reasons why we went down that road. So we built Contour um, for a couple of reasons. So one reason was to support our, our customer engagements. So we had, a, at the time with Heptio, uh, we had a customer who wanted a way to, to manage their infrastructure and have a real-time sort of um, load balancer that was defined in software. Right, so this is what came out of uh, the thing called Gimbal that we built. So Gimbal is a uh, kind of a, a version of Contour which has an opinionated deployment model. Um, so, so Contour again is an ingress controller. So its job is to take traffic and route it to endpoints. Um, so Gimbal takes that and makes it kind of one layer higher, where instead of routing to just endpoints inside a single cluster, we're routing to um, endpoints across many different clusters, and that's kind of what Gimbal looks like. Um, but before you can route to multiple clusters, you've got to be able to route to a single. So we started out with Contour, and that's how that got born. Um, so again, Contour's job was to route traffic you know, from the outside world into a cluster. Um, and then we leveraged that to make um, to make Gimbal and make it you know, handle a different sort of set of use cases. Um, the second reason we built Contour was to help um, just provide a, a tool that was Envoy-based in, in the community. Um, in the past, um, you had other providers where if you provided, um, if you had a configuration change um, happen in, in your ingress controller, what it did was it would write that configuration to a file, and then it would have to restart to pick up those changes. So in a busy cluster, you have you know, this configuration file getting written over and over, and then you have that, that application restarting over and over and over. 
So what would end up happening is your users would get um, errors accessing the, the, the ingress resource because the controller was always restarting. Um, Envoy provides us a way to do that without having to restart so they can kind of apply these configurations hot and it manages it behind the scenes for us. Um, so we're looking to have another, another option in, in the community that folks might be interested in by leveraging Envoy as this, this data path component. Got it. Okay. So sort of a twofold piece. One was to enable this higher level project, right, that was intended to do routing across multiple clusters, which um, I still think is just the coolest thing. Um, and the other one was to kind of address what, what you guys were seeing as some potential shortcomings with existing solutions that needed to restart the controller in order to uh, affect uh, a configuration change. And obviously when the controller restarts, it's no longer handling traffic. And because it's no longer handling traffic, then users are getting timeouts or, you know, whatever sort of errors um, rather than getting the actual application itself. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Now you mentioned Envoy. Um, Envoy is um, a, a CNCF project now, um, a, uh, basically a, a proxy, a high-speed proxy, uh, originally created by Lyft. Um, was there a particular reason you you guys chose Envoy just because it was, you know, doing really well or because I don't even remember when it, when it got donated to the CNCF, whether that aligns with when Contour was created or not? Yeah, I, I forget the timing as well. I, th I think we chose it before it was donated, uh, but it was an open source project you know, from the Lyft team. Um, so I, th I think some of the, the reasons why we, we went down that path was that it um, again, we could we could pass configuration without restarting, which was was a big win. Uh, it was also performance tested, you know, in various places yet Lyft themselves. Um, so they obviously have a pretty pretty high performance traffic, um, and it was supported there. Um, the other thing that was happening was it has a great model that it it's an API driven um, proxy, so um, we don't have to write configuration files. So the idea of how I guess we're getting a little bit of how Contour works, but um, Envoy itself is a client, and then Contour becomes the uh, the controller for that for Envoy. So basically, when Contour spins up, all the Envoys in your cluster will look to Contour to give it configuration. So we can um, over a gRPC connection, we can pass configuration down to Envoy. So it's a very um, that API that that Envoy provides is is very helpful um, to us as developers because we can we can um, program Envoy and tell it what to do all through a, through a rich API. So in some ways, Contour itself is really two different pieces. You have Envoy, which is the data plane, right? Um, now a CNCF project, you know, originally created by Lyft, but a really high-performance um, proxy that actually does the shuffling of traffic around. But because it's API-driven and because you can send it the instructions for its configuration over that API and it doesn't have to restart to, to receive that configuration... Um, Contour acts as a control plane for that. So, you know, the user basically interacts with, with Contour as the control plane, and then Contour interacts with Envoy as the data plane. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Well, actually, the, the user will interact directly with, with Kubernetes. Oh, yeah, of uh, course. They, right. Yeah. Yeah. And then conversely, yeah. So Contour is watching the cluster uh, for, for things that are changing. So it looks for services and endpoints in Kubernetes. It also looks for secrets. I look for ingress resources, and then we have some new CRDs that we've written uh, that kind of help extend the ingress resources that exist today in Kubernetes to help make it more rich and solve some different problems that kind of exist today with that. Right, right. You're absolutely right. Thank you for correcting me. Right. So users are going to interact with, with Kubernetes, and then Contour will get the data that it needs from the Kubernetes API server, and then 
do the necessary whatever pieces are required with that to then pass the instructions to Envoy, which is responsible for actually passing the data back and forth uh, between components. Yep, that's correct. Yep. Okay, got it. Okay. Now, you mentioned some of the limitations of current ingress and some CRDs, custom resource definitions, that the Contra team has created. What what were those um, those limitations? What what sort of you know problems did you guys try to address with the custom resource definitions? Sure. So the first thing that we we dealt with was um, ingress today. So this is ingress v one beta one. Um, and, and I say that because I'm not sure <laughs> when you'll listen to this podcast. There's a lot of work going on um, today to to help fix some of these these problems and and, and change this. So I'll just try to be clear that ingress v one beta one. Um, it doesn't work with teams very well. Uh, so, for example, if I if I create an ingress resource for, say, the domain stevesloka.com, and then you, Scott, created the same resource for the domain stevesloka.com, and if you put them in different namespaces, right, different places in the cluster, um, that's totally allowed. The, the Kubernetes API will let you do that. Um, the problem comes is that when your ingress controller goes to process those, you know, what should it do? Because essentially, you've ended up you end up with two different resources with the same configuration. Um, so it really depends on how the ingress controller is programmed to react to that, right? Should it throw an error and throw both of them out? Should the last one in win or the first one in win? Um, so it's difficult for teams to work together. Um, and, and at Heptio, we saw lots of folks, um, they would break production either, you know, probably usually unknowingly or, un, you know, without um, intent, they would take down production because they applied a duplicate resource or, or a duplicate path or something um, and then had some production outage because of that. Um, so... We can put some CRDs. We started out with this thing called ingress route, and then we've since migrated to it's called HTTP proxy. Um, and what this does is through this idea of delegation, um, we can create this kind of hierarchy of permission models, right? So we can pass off permissions to different teams and let them kind of self-manage portions or paths of of the uh, the requests. And then um, based on what they have permission for, they can you know configure that. If someone else would come along and try and configure the same. Um, Contour would see that and throw that out because they don't have proper permissions. Gotcha. Now that only works because, or it only works in a situation where Contour would be the only ingress controller being used in the cluster, right? Because then it has view of all the ingress resources that are being defined. Is that right? Do you mean like Contour like the, with like the delegation piece, right? Um, if somebody were using a a non-Contour ingress controller, say Nginx or something like that nature. They, because it sits outside of Contour, they could still run into that problem, right? Because then we're using two different solutions to try and address ingress as opposed to one solution which had visibility over all the ingress resources. Right, yeah. So solving that multi-team is only done with, with Contour's CRD. Yeah, so Nginx and other folks don't don't um, implement that or support that, that CRD that we've built right. uh, as okay. of yet. Yeah, so it'll only work with Contour, yeah. You, could, you can run multiple controllers in a cluster if you want to. Um, but in that case, you'd still you're back to the normal um, problems that might exist today. Exactly right. Yeah, and that's that's what I was yeah. driving towards. Is like you know, yeah. you know, in order to really reap that benefit, you have to sort of use only Contour as your ingress controller, and that way it has full visibility over all the ingress resources that are being defined, and then can take care of that. You know, oh no, you can't define that because it's it hasn't been delegated to you. It's already used over here, or you know, whatever. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. So, um, uh, you know, a couple of things I picked up so far, um, you know, one benefit of using Contour is that, you know, we don't run into sort of outages when we do configuration changes, which is one of the big reasons why the Contour team decided to use Envoy as the data plane. 
Um, so that's one benefit you know users would experience if they wanted to use Contour over a different Ingress controller. Um, the other one might be this this delegation functionality um, in terms of controlling or preventing users from declaring you know duplicate host names or duplicate paths or whatever the case may be, and then falling into this you know non deterministic state of you know what what the cluster is supposed to do. Um, are there other, you know, sort of benefits that you guys see as like, hey, this is a good reason why users should consider using Contour in their clusters? Um, I think another, another big thing that the Contour team um, strives for is to have Contour have sort of sane defaults uh, or sane configurations out of the box in a way. Um, so a, a good example of that is um, today in Ingress, um, if you want to define something, you've got to annotate it. Um, so you put an annotation, it's a Kubernetes way, you can kind of give a key value pair to a resource. Um, so if you want to say, say you serve your, your site over TLS, right? You've gotten, you went and provisioned a certificate and you want to have it, you know, accept, um, a, a TLS connection. Um, but what you want to do is not have it accept a plain old HTTP. So what you want to do is you want to say, Hey, if I get a plain HTTP request, you know, redirect that back to the TLS version of the site. Um, today in Ingress, you'd have to annotate that and say, you know, this is a TLS endpoint and redirect when you get an insecure request. Um, well, what Contour does is it says, oh, you have you have TLS on this resource. Um, we'll just automatically re redirect you to TLS because that's probably what most people want to do. It's 2020 and we should run everything over TLS. Um, there is ways um, that you can turn that off. So basically, it's a buy-in. So Contour will configure that for you automatically, that redirect. Um, and if you don't want that, you've got to tell the resource that you don't want it. Um, and we think that most people are going to want, want that kind of behavior. So instead of having to configure that everywhere, on every resource and possibly forget that um, contour kind of applies that for you. Yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I honestly scratching my head here, can't think of why you wouldn't want to automatically redirect to a TLS secured version of the site, but I suppose there's some use case out there, but I, but I agree like in, in, in general, it, it makes more sense to say that is the default behavior. And if you want something different, because more than likely that's the exception, then you can go, you know, opt out of that configuration. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's some configurations in Envoy as well, like uh, like max number of connections and certain other you know um, protocols that you'd want to configure that Contour just sometimes sets to like high numbers, just because most folks are going to want that. Um, and if if there are knobs to turn, then we'll we'll provide those for folks if they need to or if they feel like we should. Uh, but in general, yeah, Contour strives to just you know set those for you automatically, so you don't have to think about that or deal with that. Because again, your 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 job is to is to just configure traffic, right? And our job is to help you manage that traffic. So, if we can, you know, default things for you and make those um, make your cluster perform without you having to know Envoy and understand that, then that's kind of the role that we're trying to take on for you. Um, so, let's say you know we have listeners out there who who are listening to the show and they say, "Hey, this contour thing sounds really cool, and I think I have a use case for it." Um, and I and I want to stress, like, you know, to to listeners, don't implement technology because it's cool implement technology because you have a use case and a problem to solve, right? But let's say that they have a problem to solve and they think Contour would help solve that. How would they, what's the best way for somebody to get started first as a, a user of Contour? Yeah, sure. So as a user, um, just go out to our website. It's projectcontour.io. Um, there's a, should be a, a quick start link that you can click on. Um, it'll show you how to get, you know, deploy Contour in your cluster. And then there's a sample um, application you can deploy and get running um, and then from there, um, you can just, um, you know, our GitHub site is there as well. So if you find something you, you'd want or it doesn't do, then just open an issue. So we're very, very issue driven. Even if you 
think an issue might exist already, just open another one, and then we'll help manage the uh, the, the merging of those in the back end. Um, but yeah, so so just chat with us. You know, um, projectcontour.io is the website, um, and then it's projectcontour slash contour on GitHub, um, and then we're on contour on Slack hashtag contour. And if someone out there is listening and is a developer or an aspiring developer and thinks they may want to contribute to contour, is that something that you guys are looking for as well? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we have um, we have a the only policy that we have is is a talk before coding. So we want to talk about a solution you might implement before you actually go and implement it. Because what we hate to do is have you spend time and resources uh, building something maybe the way that we wouldn't think that we'd want to um, implement it a certain way. Um, so sometimes we'll require like a design doc to kind of talk about um, why we build a feature, and that's helpful for a couple reasons. One, it helps us all get on the same page for what you want to actually add. And two, it helps for history. So in a year from now, we're like, hey, why did we do it this way? Uh, we can look back to those discussions in those design docs to help um, remind us of why we, we chose whatever decision we went with. But yeah, happy, happy to have folks you know, send PRs and, and you know, whatever, whatever they want to um, feel like missing or actually want to help contribute. It's, it's always welcome, yes. Great, cool. Um, all right, awesome. Well, thanks, Steve. I appreciate it. Um, I think that you know the discussion of Contour and some of the benefits that Contour offers in... Kubernetes environments will be useful um, to to listeners. Um, as we uh, wrap up, um, any any sort of like you know, and, and it's okay if there are none, right? But uh, I ask this question of all my guests: so Is there any sort of closing thoughts that you want to share with the listeners? You know, so any sort of like final things that maybe we haven't had a chance to discuss that you're like, oh, I want to be sure to mention this. Yeah, I don't I don't think there, there's a whole lot of stuff to talk about. Um, yeah, just happy to chat. Like I said, anytime anyone wants to chat about Contour or anything, I'm happy to happy to, to be a resource for them. So, yeah, and I can confirm, by the way, listeners, you know, like uh, Steve and the rest of the folks working on Contour, super responsive, very very useful. Um, we had a customer last year that was looking for some specific features in Contour, and so uh, you know, I went and opened some issues, and Steve and the other uh, contributors, you know, started picking them up and working on them, and. That kind of stuff, as it made sense for them, of course, right? Not just whatever, but um, and I can attest. You know, I saw the whole sort of process unfold with design documents and people talking about it, and them deciding this is how we want to solve this situation, not just for this customer, but for sort of all customers, right? And so it was really nice to see, um, you know, that that sort of interplay. I was I was I was impressed. So I, I can I can affirm as a user trying to help put this out in a real world um, situation that um, it's a great team to work with. Yeah, f- feedback is the best, just because you know I can't possibly understand everyone's environment and everyone's specific needs. You know, so getting that feedback is always helpful to to make Contour itself, you know, fit and, and solve more different use cases. Um, just a- as we get more more folks telling us, you know, hey, the Contour is great, but the other one does it this way. Can we implement that or have that feature? Yeah, so just having that feedback is great, and a GitHub issue is the best way for that. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Okay, yeah. so if you if you listeners haven't. Uh... Haven't ever, you know, created your GitHub account. Now is the time to do so for a lot of different reasons, but um, not the least reason for so you can go provide some feedback to Steve and his team on on Contour. All right, thanks so much, Steve, for for being here. Um, as I close out, uh, let's just remind listeners again where they can find you on the internet. Sure. Yeah, on Twitter, I'm Steve Sloka, and on GitHub, I'm I'm Steve Sloka. So GitHub slash Steve Sloka. All right, and you're probably Steve Sloka on Slack. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, that makes it easy. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks again, Steve. Listeners, thanks for joining uh, us today. I hope that the discussion of uh, Contour and also sort of Steve's journey as he was getting into 
containers and Docker and Kubernetes. I hope that was a, dis a useful discussion. I hope that you got some practical information out of this. I'll have the show notes that'll include links to the Project Contour website and various other things um, that were mentioned on the show. So you can get, pull those from the show notes in case you are interested in learning more. And I do encourage you to feel free to reach out to uh, either myself or Steve and the rest of the Contour team if you have questions or, or feedback. Um, uh, again, thanks for listening. Uh, we'd appreciate if you did find the show useful to provide some feedback via iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play or whatever platform you found the podcast on. Um, that's a great way for uh, prospective listeners to understand you know, what the show is all about and whether folks are finding it useful or not. And, uh, again, thanks for listening. Thank you.